but I don't I really don't have any regrets I really don't I've I've lived exactly how I've wanted to I've tried my hardest every single time I didn't win the matches that maybe I should have always won or but I really gave it my all so that for me is enough Hi everyone, welcome back to The Body Serve. I'm James. I'm Jonathan. This is, uh, I guess, part one of our season finale, our fifth season finale, the WTA wrap. It's an exciting episode for us for that reason and another huge reason. Uh, we're doing something we have never done before. We are launching a crowdfunding project. We had kind of a soft launch on Facebook yesterday, mm-hmm. but this is the official grand opening of The Body Serve's GoFundMe. Well, you made it sound so bougie but <laughs> like our crowd our crowdsourcing crowd. project <laughs> like bitch we're asking people for money well yeah i'm there's trying no to need use to the sh- right vocabulary <laughs> there's no need to sugarcoat it so we have been talking about this for a few weeks already and i think we've gone through the stages of you know it's it feels unnatural it's felt a little bit more natural as it's gotten closer to reality. But, you know, it's still it's a little bit awkward to, to ask people for their hard-earned money. But the idea is that we've been doing this for almost five years. In, mm-hmm. in January, it'll be five years. We have been self-funded basically the entire time. We are self-motivated. Uh, we're self-taught. Uh, we, you know, we, we have no expertise in audio editing or podcasting it's such an exciting medium for that reason because pretty much anyone can get into this but at this point we are still happy doing the podcast but we need some help yeah we have things that we want to do in terms of expanding the show that some assistance would go a long way toward doing that we we're recording on what a computer that's almost 10 years old (laughs) I'm just praying it makes it to the end of the season. <laughs> Two more episodes. It served us very well. We no longer record with headphones because our amp. Yeah, our our preamp is broken. It kicked the bucket a few episodes ago. Yeah. So this is not a sob story, but the point is <laughs> we are hoping to invest in some better uh, equipment, some better hardware. We also want to travel to tournaments that we haven't done before. We've kind of gotten into a routine of going to Cincinnati every year. I've been to Charleston a couple times. And the reasons why we do those two in particular is because A, it's it's cheaper, and B, it's more convenient. We can drive to those tournaments. Ideally, in the new year, we'd be able to, to sit down and plot a course where maybe we travel to an overseas tournament. Mm-hmm. And I think we can reveal now that the one that's foremost on our radar is the new Berlin tournament, the new grass tournament. Right. That would be the dream for the upcoming year. Yes. Is Berlin and possibly another tournament that we haven't gone to before. And even if we cannot get credentialed at the U.S. Open, which is probably unlikely (laughs) from all that we've heard from talking to folks in the industry, we could at least go and travel to it and cover it on the ground. Right. So if you've listened to us over these past few years, or if you're a new listener and you are inclined to uh, support this podcast going forward... We uh, we greatly appreciate it. If you are not able or not willing to donate, that's okay too. I get it. And if all you're able to do is share the GoFundMe or crowdsourcing project, as you Crowd, call it. Crowdfunding. Crowdfunding project. 
that is helpful as well. If and when you do donate, something that you can do to help us in this process too is to share on Twitter or whatever social media that, that's preferable to you the fact that you contributed to the show. You can write a little comment on the GoFundMe page telling folks why you enjoy the show, why you think this is a, a worthy project. And I also wanted to plug as well that one of the other things that we want to do next year is to, to have more research episodes or Pride episode and or pre-open era tennis episode were two of our most uh, pleasing moments, shall we mm -hmm. say? In my career. In our careers <laughs> as tennis podcasters. And there's one that I really want to do. Can I talk about it just for a little, a little bit? Because No, let's leave it, uh, you know, because it's <sighs> still... You, being you, birthed. You always do this to me. You always rein me in from getting ahead of myself. But there is one episode. Can I say who it's about at least? Okay, sure. Yeah. It involves Monica Sellis. And it's not what you would expect is all I'm okay. going to say. And it might evolve from, from it could. what you're thinking about now. But it'd be nice to have like maybe, you know, quarterly research episodes where we can do at least for a year, you know? Yeah. That type of stuff really interests us, but we often don't have the time or feel motivated or have the resources to dedicate to it. Mm -hmm. We, you know, we've shown that we can do the week in and week out coverage like a lot of podcasts, but it's it's fun to flex a little bit every once in a while and challenge ourselves mentally and uh, logistically and actually taking our ass to the Toronto Reference Library, which we did for the last mm -hmm. one. <laughs> to make use of our master's degrees, <laughs> you know? Mm -hmm. Because they let me tell so, you, so frequently lie dormant. I know. <laughs> Every now and then we brush dust off the theses on the bookshelf. Mm -hmm. I'm like, oh, that's still there? <laughs> so we're going to share it on Twitter, on our Facebook page, Instagram. Uh, on our website, thebodyserve.com. Mm -hmm. So let's get into the tennis. Mm -hmm. This WTA season, every time we do one of these episodes, I imagine that I've forgotten everything that's happened this year. And it turns out it, it's in there somewhere. You know, It's I, in there, but we absolutely did forget the majority of right. things that happened. I've seen a lot of uh, people saying, "What's you, you know, what are the best matches of the year? And I'm like, damned if I can remember four. And, <laughs> you know, some of these like, oh, the best match of the year was... Um, Muguruza and so and so at this tournament, and like I do not, I have zero recollection of some of these matches. Is it because we're getting older, or is it just me? It's just a lot. <laughs> we take in a lot of tennis information for the year. Listen, I had to actively remember that Ash Barty won Miami multiple times <laughs> this it, season. It gave rise to my favorite title ever, Barty in the USA. Uh, okay. Oh. You know, I've had a lot of hits this you year. Have. So, you have. I just don't think that that was one of your best. You know, sometimes keeping it simple <laughs> is the best. I personally like She the North because I think we coined that. Yeah, so let's, let's go back to a time when we invented She the North and Canadian media stole it. We should have copyrighted it at the time. Well, we weren't vigilant enough in the moment to actually pay attention to whether other people were saying it, but we were absolutely ahead of the curve. Yeah. Without question. And the point is, we need to be a little more like Taylor Swift and start trying to copyright this shit. <laughs> more like Lizzo. No. Copyright Liz something you didn't even write. See, there, that's, that's the T there. No, Taylor Swift tried to copyright 1989. Uh, a year. Mm -hmm. That's a year. Kim Kardashian tried to copyright kimono. 
Mm-hmm. Which is she tried to but, copyright culture. <laughs> that is not her. Not even her. Well, she typically doesn't indulge in any cultures that belong to her. Oh wow. Um, so back to the WTA. What happened this year? What were the big themes flowing through this season? The big two. I think there are two big thematic things to take away from the WTA season. One being parity that continued. I would say on the WTA tour, the wealth was spread quite evenly at the top of the game and a lot of women won titles and the other one being we saw quite a few bust out moments on the wta Mm -hmm. tour the two biggest stars who seemingly came out of nowhere bianca andrescu and coco goff right i'm gonna gently push back at the parody thing because of of course we saw that that is true at the top of the game but i think one of the one of the highlights for me looking back is that I think that the top of the women's game is starting to sort itself out. We've been talking for years at this point about what a post-Williams WTA will look like. I think we're starting to understand what it will look like. Sure, but that argument makes sense for next year's rap episode if those players continue on that trajectory. Right. But for now, we still have a pretty even Stevens kind of situation where nobody's dominating and running away. The only person who really dominated in 2019 was Andrescu. And that was only because she won the sporadic tournaments that she did play, the big tournaments that she did play. Mm -hmm. This next little bit, we're going to talk about the actual winners of the the main tournaments on tour. And just like last year, you did not want to do this. And just like last year, I'm going to make you do this. The challenge for you is to make it interesting and not boring. Uh huh. Well, because I didn't want to list the winners because anyone can go to Wikipedia and find those. Yeah, but we've got rapport. We can do this. Okay. So if you think about it, the WTA has 14 big titles there's the Slams, the WTA Finals, four Premier Mandatories, and then the Premier Fives. We know that the four Slam winners were at the Australian Open, Naomi Osaka, backing up her 2018 US Open win beating Petra Kvitova in the final, winning two slams in a row. That legitimately feels like two years ago. And the 2018 US Open final, I don't even know what year that feels mm-hmm. like at this point. <laughs> Roland Garros, the slam where the draw fell the fuck apart. And we got four, I mean, you could say all four were surprising semifinalists. Right. Really. Well, only one player from the top ten, Ash Barty. And she was your titleist. She won her maiden Grand Slam title in Paris, beating Vondrosheva in the final. At Wimbledon, you know Simona Halep beat Serena Williams in that final in dominating fashion, which still... Simona winning Wimbledon at all still feels like a shocking result to me. Maybe even more than Barty winning Roland Garros. Okay, you, you're entitled to those opinions. <laughs> I think the dominating of Serena in that final was the real shocker. Right. And then at the US Open... We got a repeat of the Rogers Cup final in Toronto, where Bianca Andrescu beat Serena Williams. On my birthday. Yes, it was your birthday. You've had some traumatic moments. wasn't great. You've had some traumatic moments on your birthday (laughs) with Serena Williams and the US Open. Yes. In the WTA finals, as you know, recently, Ash Barty beat Alina Svitolina. It was Svitolina's only final of the year. Previously, she was known as the finals queen. Right. In previous seasons, she had won, you know, four or five titles, a bunch of big ones at Premier Mandatories or Premier Fives. We'll talk about her in a second, though. I think there are encouraging signs from this season for her. 
She's also known as somebody who is unflappable in finals. Her finals record is pretty pristine. Mm-hmm. On the premier mandatory level, this is where we first got wind of Bianca Andrescu and what she would do this year. She won Indian Wells, beating Angelique Kerber in the final. In Miami, Ash Barty beats Pliskova. In Madrid, Kiki Burtons beats Halep. We were in Spain at that point. Mm-hmm. I remember Halep beating Barty in Madrid during that tournament and really enjoying that match. Little did I know that Barty would go on to win Roland Garros. And then in Beijing, Naomi Osaka beats Barty to win the title. Of those four results on the premier mandatory level, what really stuck out for you? At the time, it was Andreescu's win in Indian Wells because it did, I think, for people watching, they could see that this was something special, that this young woman had been ranked outside the top 100 at the beginning of the year, had that excellent run in, I want to say, Auckland? Yes. Auckland, yeah. Beating Venus and a few other top players. It just, just the way that she competed made her feel singular in her generation. But at that time, it still felt like she was a ways away from being a super top player. Right. A top five player, a Grand Slam champion. There was still a lot of controversy surrounding her (laughs) with players not being too happy. Sure. And this was just days, just days before the Kerber blow up. Mm Because remember, they played two consecutive, well, they played in Indian Wells and then Miami. This little stretch, though, was very instructive for the rest of the season. Andrescu winning Indian Wells and Barty winning Miami. I like the fact that these two backed up these big moments. At the time, the biggest wins of their careers by going even further and carrying some consistent form throughout the rest of the year. Right. On the Premier 5 level, we've got Dubai. Remember, Belinda Bencic beat Kvitova in that final in Rome, Pliskova beats Kanta, who at the time was a, a pretty surprising finalist, but backed it up with a semifinal at Roland Garros. In Toronto, again, as you mentioned earlier, Bianca wins her hometown title, beating Serena uh, via retirement. Cincinnati, Madison Keys, she kind of living up to her immense promise and beating shocking finalist Kuznetsova in the final. Kuznetsova, who had just gotten her visa. Right. We were there for that final. We were in Cincinnati for that. Mm-hmm. Following Kuznetsova in that tournament was one of the highlights of the year, for me at least, I can say. Yeah. And we were able to interview her and have her on the show again. And in Wuhan, Sabalenka had an uneven year, but came to China, defended her title in Wuhan, and had a, a really excellent stretch in September and October. She beat Alison Risk in the final, who also had her best season ever. Reaching mm-hmm. the quarterfinals and playing a hell of a match against Serena Williams at Wimbledon. Those are the 14 big tournaments that you talk about. Overall, the title leaders on the WTA Tour for 2019, Ash Barty and Karolina Pliskova, both have four. Sabalenka, Andrescu, Osaka, and Kennan all have three. Aren't you a little bit surprised to see Sabalenka right there at y- number two? <laughs> yeah, because it she really had been having... A disappointing season for most of it and then i think she won two titles in asia right in the fall i was surprised to see kennan at three and she had won three kind of lower like lower than premier level titles but wta level titles she has also the most hardcourt wins on the wta of the season of the of those big titles those 14 big titles we've got nine different winners Barty and andreescu are tied with three big titles and osaka has two and 
uh, we've talked about this before, but the player of the year title is really, it's a discussion between Ash Barty and Bianca Andreescu. And I feel strongly that Ash Barty is the player of the year, but I, I get the argument for Bianca, definitely. I get it. For me, you have to play more. When the, the, mm. the competition is so stiff, playing more tournaments, having more consistently good results, which Barty's year was no joke. She was not out here losing first round all over the place when she wasn't winning big. She had a consistent, good to great year, capped with two huge titles and another one just a cut below. Right. And then we have the WTA Premier titles, which are kind of like the ATP 500s. This right? is where Karolina Pliskova shun. And this is where folks kind of make make fun of the fact that she's nominated for WTA Player of the Year, even though she only won one of those 14 big titles. But she did win three other ones. You can't take away from the fact that she has four. Right. And let's face it, if there's five people in the category, who else are you going to put there other than Pliskova? <laughs> but what sticks out is that her Grand Slam results were mostly disappointing. Kvitova won two premier titles in Sydney and Stuttgart. Stuttgart is to me, probably the most prestigious of the premier level. It is that indoor clay tournament that gets an incredible field. And you get a Porsche if you win. (laughs) Right. The other winners of the premier level were Burton's in St. Petersburg, Merton's in Doha, which, I mean, I have almost no memory of. But she beat Halep in that final. Keys in Charleston, Barty in Birmingham and Grass. Barty needed to win that tournament to ascend to number one, and she did. If you recall, mm-hmm. Zhang Sai Sai winning San Jose, formerly Stanford. Stanford. Mm-hmm. Osaka wins Osaka. Benchich in Moscow. And the other tournaments that Pliskova won. Ah, uh, yes, Brisbane, Eastbourne, and Zhangzhou. So that covers the the main titleists on the WTA tour. See, we got through it without too much boredom. Mm-hmm. I hope. <laughs> on the double side of things, the Chan sisters, along with. Shea Suwe and Barbara Streetseva, they led the WTA Tour with four titles apiece. Right. Uh, in the slams, the double slams, Shea Streetseva won Wimbledon. We've got Sam Stozer having just a, a well, one of our feel-good moments, winning the Australian Open in doubles with Zhang. Babos Mladenovic winning Roland Garros. They were also the runner-up at Australia. And Merton Sabalenka beating Bartarenka in the U.S. Open. Ash Barty was actually the defending champion in doubles at the U.S. Open. She won with Colleen the previous year. But back to singles, just to, just to sort of cap titles and stats and all those things, I think the top of the game is is taking shape a little bit more clearly. And like you said, we will know a, way more at the end of 2020. But now you have Osaka and Halep as multiple major winners. You have Barty as a, a credible number one who can win titles on all surfaces and who at this point seems mentally very, very tough, and if plan, not unflappable. And plans her schedule so well. Mm-hmm. You have Bianca Andreescu announcing herself as a stone cold competitor, a killer. And uh, someone like Svitolina, who has made so many strides on the Grand Slam level, has seemed to solve a lot of those mental blocks that she has in the second week, but has no titles to show for it this year and only one final appearance. But I, I still think this year she can take a lot of positive from it. If you're looking to what you just said as indicative of 
this next phase in women's tennis, keep in mind that others are just around the corner. Right. Diana Yastrzemska just signed up with Sasha Bayan. Mm. If you know anything about her prodigious talent, you should expect that her bust-out moment could be next year as well. And so just as we had Bianca and Barty really coming to the fore this year as big breakout stars, we could be witnessing the same again next year. Right. And then we still have Miss Williams hovering still in the top 10, in the fray, in these slam finals. Like There is a lot of intrigue to be mm. gleaned from following the WTA tour going forward. That's enough of our, our own opining <laughs> for this episode. We were able to solicit a lot of help and feedback from you, the listeners. One, because it helps us in <laughs> putting the agenda for this show together. And two, it uh, it's funny to hear some of the stuff that y'all come up with and the way you phrase and... Uh, depict some of the things that that happened on the WTA tour we got a lot of laughs reading these responses and you also help us remember things that we forgot or point out things that we totally missed the first question was about what are your favorite moments of the WTA season and there were a lot of you know there were a lot of repeat answers on this one and a lot of these answers also fit into feel good or surprising moments Mm -hmm. one (laughs) the one that really got a big laugh for me was Shola, Shola's Talks Tennis, saying that Ostapenko, quote, recklessly battering each and every one of her doubles partners. That was one of his favorite moments. <laughs> and mine as well. And a few people mentioned that, including at Gabe Trivia. Paul Owen, he uh, reminded us of Shea Suwe's, I don't worry about it. <laughs> <laughs> that was so good. Yes. Shea added such great texture to women's tennis in 2019. Not because she's somebody that you can laugh at, because that's wrong and racist, but because she's somebody you can laugh with. Right. And she's somebody who doesn't take herself seriously, has an unconventional game, gives people fits all over the place, and is still an elite tennis player. You never know what you're going to get with that mixed bag right. of Shia Sue. And uh, her being able to give these off-the-cuff, hilarious interviews just endears her to us even more. And in that Wimbledon doubles final, which she won with Barbara Streetseva, she just sparkled. Her game comes alive in that format. And that was actually one of my favorite matches of the year to watch. There was a lot of... A people who said uh, the Serena Azarenka match at Indian Wells, which was indeed a high quality match, one of Vika's best in years. And at the time, we thought that it indicated good things to come for Vika. And unfortunately, she did not have a great season in singles. She made some waves in doubles with Ash Barty. It was also a nostalgic match, a nostalgic match for a rivalry that felt stunted. Oh, absolutely. At its most recent peak, Indian Wells and Miami, a few years ago. When was that? 2016, 2017? Uh, Right, 2016 when Vika won the double. Yes. And she had beaten Serena in one of those finals. And you thought, well, damn, this could be the start. We always keep hearing and thinking and pointing to the start of the next person to really stick it to Serena on a regular basis. And uh, that didn't happen. She had Leo, her little son, and uh, Serena had her baby. 
Little Olympia. <laughs> right. It was it's one of the most bizarre things in recent tennis history, I think. That moment in time where those two look poised to really dominate women's tennis and both have babies and that whole narrative is shattered. <laughs> it's it's bizarre yeah. looking back. And so this match held some nostalgia for what their rivalry had promised and delivered in the past and gave hope for what could still be. And uh, that's yet to be seen. I mean, it's it's tough to think that anything long-lasting could still come of their, their rivalry at this mm. point. Of course, there were a lot of folks who referenced the Andreescu-Kerber match at Miami after Bianca beat Kerber in the final of Indian Wells, they met in the round of 32 at Miami, and famously, the normally calm, cool, and collected Angelique Kerber said, you are the biggest drama queen ever. <laughs> she is not always cool and well, collected. <laughs> she needs a little while to get cool more, and collected. More so since she became a top player and a slam winner. She's typically on better behavior. Because she, she could be a little... Uh, what's the word? A, little, a little testy in her younger years, definitely. Mm -hmm. It was just a bit surprising. And it was surprising to me because say what you want about Bianca and there's lots of stuff you can point to this year alone. I remember like she almost hit Venus in the back of the court Oh, in Auckland, hitting balls to the other side of the court in between points unnecessarily. Right. And, but she continued to do that through the year. Yeah, there were, there were a lot of things that I could see could piss people off. Right. Mm -hmm. But at the end of the cliche day, <laughs> Ms. Kerber, you are losing these matches. That's what it there's nothing more cut and dry than that. The ball literally and figuratively was in your court. Yes. And there were there were actually many instances in that match that Kerber could have won yeah. and probably should have won. And so and we see we see this with Bianca's entire year after that. I I right? I put forth this theory <laughs> that it took a village to make Bianca Andrescu this year. She's incredibly talented and she has earned her stripes. But I felt that there were many times along this stretch of unbeaten tennis that we were we were force fed this this uh this winning streak this year. Yeah. By tennis pundits saying, oh my God, she's up to win number 25 in a row. Many times along this way, there were women who dropped the ball, who had moments to beat her and didn't. Venus is one of them. Angie Kerber. All these women had chances to 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 stymie Bianca, and instead they they created this monster of sorts. Right. They're but complicit it... in giving her all this confidence. It's part. It's absolutely like ninety percent Bianca's doing, or maybe seventy five. But this other part is like. It's like these women didn't know what to do with her. Right. And I know complicity has been your go-to word <laughs> for this this subject, but Bianca has displayed superior competitiveness and mental strength to, to almost anyone. And that's one of the reasons that these other players have failed to capitalize on important points. Because Bianca is unflappable. She is. And she's incredibly yeah. talented. She has an all-court game like almost no other in women's tennis at just 19 years old. It's incredible. It was just... Annoying? Peculiar <laughs> to watch unfold. All right. 
lots of folks said Marina, which I believe is now the accepted ship name of Andy Murray and Serena Williams. Andy well, Murray. Marina. Marina. You, yes. It sounded like you were talking about where the boats come. Oh, in. right. Sorry. Ma, that's Marina. Yes. It's where, where I'm from, we pronounce those vowels like exactly the you same. You pronounce a whole lot of things all <laughs> kinds of wrong. Yeah, I'm, I've been told, you, have you ever heard of the cot-cot uh, test? Like, it's a good test of where you're from? No. So, in upstate New York, we shorten our vowels really bad. So, cot, like C-O-T is cot, and C-A-U-G-H-T is caught. And you also, instead in of some creek, places, in... But some places pronounce those words exactly the same. But instead of creek, you also say crick. We, I, most certainly do not. <laughs> some people do. <laughs> and roof is rough. Oh, that is rough, indeed. A rut beer. Okay, that is so off topic. But the Annie Murray, Serena Williams pairing in mixed doubles was so affirming for many reasons. Because you rarely get to see two legends, especially of two different sexes, play doubles together. Uh, Annie Murray, who is a huge supporter of women's tennis, it's a, a feel-good thing. Andy always worms his way into our WTA raps, I feel. <laughs> and... Andy coming back from what was almost certainly a retirement. He announced at Australia that he was probably retiring from tennis, that there was no hope, that he was hoping to play doubles at Wimbledon and then bow out of the game. So to see him back after surgery and actually playing at a competitive level, it was just, it was too much good feelings. But more than that, they had incredible rapport. Serena played awesome in those matches. Yes. She was returning like 140 mile an hour serves for winners. And they had such a great time together. Mm -hmm. At Manny underscore Shmanny shares Taylor Townsend with the serve and volley at the U.S. Open against Simona Halep. And that's one of mine, too. Yeah. Is one of my favorite moments because Taylor played her game and took the match away from the reigning Wimbledon champion. And we then got one of the more introspective grown-up press conferences mm -hmm. from Taylor Townsend afterward that we got to see so much of Taylor on the big stage at the U.S. Open because of this win was one of the absolute best moments of 2019. And it seems so overdue. Because she's one of those players that people speculate about a lot because we don't often hear directly from her because she hasn't had these big moments on the big mm -hmm. stages. And I really enjoyed when she told us that, hey, the reason I don't go to Europe and play some of these tournaments is because I'm not gonna, it's not financially viable for me to go across the ocean and spend four weeks trying to qualify for events at my current ranking. It's better financially for me to stay home and drive to these challengers and play them and mm -hmm. win them. Right. And finally, Barbara Streetseva's runs at Wimbledon in both singles and doubles were a popular response from uh, at Grace Onions and at Mela Klarig. And I'm sorry if I didn't pronounce that correctly. Because not only did she win doubles, she made the semis of Wimbledon. Right. That is something. It was, a, it was a stunning run in both singles and doubles. In a year that she seriously contemplated retiring. And it, I think it still uh, remains to be seen when and if she will retire next year. Or Yeah, she says that she's committed to the Australian Open. She loves Australia. She's going to go, but beyond that, she doesn't know yet. All right. You did that moments. Mm -hmm. We I don't think we actually asked this question, but we filled in one ourselves. <laughs> you did that. Who, who else better but Coco Golf? She wins this category. 
I think, hands down. Right. Coco Goff is 15 years old, still growing, had that stunning run at Wimbledon, especially the match against Herzog, and she's letting her game do the talking. There's so much hype surrounding her, but uh, just on a personal level, I feel like she's handled it with so much grace and with so much, uh, I don't know, like humility. I just, I want to ask her if I ever get the chance, what are your strategies for dealing with this kind of attention? Like, how are you doing it? Just living her life, I'm sure. (laughs) Like not thinking about questions that you want to pose to her in that way. Right, Just being a teenager. (laughs) The moment that, that players start to situate themselves within what they're doing mm-hmm. that you you become so self-aware of what you're actually doing then it becomes more of a nervy situation I right think. right so for her sake i hope she doesn't fully understand what people expect from her and what especially sponsors and people who stand to make money off her want and that she doesn't lose that sense of wonder <laughs> are you quoting leanne womack i possibly God, you love am that. Oh my i God, love, that, love song. that shit And I also hope she dances. (laughs) I would also posit that Simona Halep winning Wimbledon in that fashion was a you did that moment. You had your moment in time racing with destiny when all of your dreams were a heartbeat away. And the answer was all up to her because none of the answers were on Serena Williams' side of the court. And when I say your dreams are a heartbeat away, that is... As much as we don't think of Simona Halep as a grass court player, that was a tournament she always wanted to win. And the one that I believe it was her mother always said to her that, listen, if you, if you win Wimbledon, you are undeniable. Mm. Right? And right. so now she's a legitimate career Grand Slam player, potentially, uh, in the most unexpected way because she did that. Right. We asked our listeners to tell us what their feel-good moments of the year were because we're, you know, we're not always trying to be snarky and shady. There were a lot of just warm and fuzzy moments this year. I want to share mine first. Okay. And I actually shared this with uh, Thierry Cote, who is also uh, an Ontarian like Mm -hmm. us. The moment when Serena had to retire in Toronto and Bianca went over to her chair squatted down at her eye level and said you're a fucking beast and that just so many things about bianca were surprising this year but that felt like such a human sincere moment and it was it's crazy to me to watch this young girl what was she 19 go up to the goat and speak to her without fear and with with humanity you know bianca had just won this huge tournament it was a an important moment in her career and she felt comfortable enough to go over to Serena and share her condolences. Dr. Scholl says Coco's Wimbledon run, especially the win over Herzog, it, the wins just kept coming mm-hmm. unexpectedly. And if you remember, she she started against Venus <laughs> and right. I, I said privately to you, like, if Venus can't beat a 15-year-old, then what's the point? <laughs> and so right. I own that. I own that loss. Right. But it wasn't just any 15-year-old, it turned out. No, it was... Oh, one of the one of the the next generation that the Williams sisters have wrought, and now they have to bear the burden <laughs> of losing to them. Right, right. Something else that a lot of folks responded to, as far as a feel good moment in 2019, was that big matchup. I think it was the third or fourth round 
at the U.S. Open with Naomi Osaka playing Coco Gauff. Yeah, third round. And uh, obviously, Naomi was expected to win that match. There was a, a little bit of doubt only because Naomi was coming into that match after having to pull out of, of uh, Cincinnati with an injury, even though she was looking really good. Remember that? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And uh, Naomi put her foot on the gas in that match and really did did the business, right? Right. And it was an emotional moment for Coco after having going through all that she did with the media hype, having another bust-out moment at a slam as a 15-year-old on home soil. And after the match, Naomi comforted her and also put her in the spotlight to try and get, you know, some of the, the love from the crowd. Right. It was in... In some ways, an uncomfortable moment. In other ways, a positive and uh, touching moment. Coco was very upset and was crying and she maybe didn't, didn't want to talk. Didn't seem like she wanted right? to do it. But uh, in another way, it was um, a moment for Naomi to assert herself as her own person. Coming out of the shadow of that 2018 final, where she was very much the object you know, Serena was the subject of of that final, and the the discourse was really about Serena. This was a way for the defending champion to say, like, here, this is who I am, and this is how I want to use my influence and my power, and this is what I'm going to do. I was a, it was interesting for so many reasons. It wasn't necessarily a full on feel good moment for me because it was fraught, but it it had moments of everything. And a lot of things going on at the same time. A lot of folks responded with Ash Barty's entire season, really. Uh, from winning those big titles, winning uh, the French Open, to doing real work with Aboriginal communities in Australia, reaching out to kids, being asked directly about Margaret Court at the Roland Garros ceremony, ignoring the question and talking about Sam Stozer instead. <laughs> Do you all remember that? That was such a boss moment. That is expert level it's like i hear your question about margaret but who i'd really like to talk about is samantha stozer have you ever heard of her (laughs) another feel-good moment christian getting her first grand slam main draw victory ever at age 27 despite her parents actively rooting for her to fail on the tennis court (laughs) so that that she could go into the corporate world and have a real job right (laughs) what were some of the surprising moments of 2019 Ooh, under the wire, we've got a submission from Tuan Vu for Feel Good Moment of the Year. Do you want to read that one? Yeah. He said, how about the WTA payday at the year-end championships? Talk about serving notice. And in terms of Feel Good Impact, the WTA getting their TV contracts in order. Because the last few years have been bleak darlings. We did include this partly because it was written in Mariah Carey language. It's we're so transparent. It's so easy to get to us with the way you phrase mm-hmm. things. If you give us your opinions in Mariah speak, you will make the show. Right. But we know that Tuan is a, a genuine lamb. Yes. Moving on to the most surprising moments of 2019. There were a lot of repeats in here from the other categories. But one of the most surprising things for me, we'll start with mine, is Joanna Conta making the Rolling Girls semis, being the runner up at Rome. And uh, kind of reminding us that she, she's she been saying, you know, I like Clay. I don't know what y'all are talking about. Listen, there was this moment in Charleston in 2018 when I asked her about Clay. And 
it was such an awkward moment too because the way that round table is set up literally there are many round tables and they keep bringing people in so petra kavitova had come in and folks just got up and left joe Kanta and went to go talk to petra <laughs> and so myself and some other person stayed and so i asked her this question and she was she's like listen i got my start on the clay courts i've i have receipts just, let's go back to a time exactly I'm so sensitive. I probably wouldn't be able to continue after everyone left my table. I mean, I felt really bad for her in that moment. <laughs> it was so awkward. But she was she was letting us know that, listen, I am not scarred of these clay courts. And this season, while it was surprising to us, it was probably not surprising to her. Because right. there are only so many clay court events. And if you don't get on a roll, you just end up losing first round, first round. To be fair. She had lost a lot of first round matches on clay. <laughs> but, you know, this was a complete turnaround right. for her this year. I would say our our doubts were not entirely unfounded. Okay. Again, there's a lot of repeats from a lot of folks. So while they also blend across different categories, it also doesn't really lend itself to us calling everybody's name. So apologies if we didn't call yes. your Twitter handle. We did see your replies and we thank you we're not ignoring you of course bianca's year um halep winning wimbledon and especially how she did it i added serena's losing skid of four consecutive grand slam finals where in the world is carmen Muguruza? where she, is she she's training with one conchita martinez right now. she is now but this year she won a title in monterey and a lot of people were like oh she's back she's back she's back unfortunately we know better but along those lines, one of the surprising moments of 2019 was the fact that Muguruza actually split with Sam Sumik. Yes. That was a, a big submission it from was. a lot of folks. That did not go unnoticed. Because folks out here in tennis Twitter have been clamoring for this to happen for years. All those coaching timeouts that were so uncomfortable mm -hmm. for so long, it seemed like they had a, a really unhealthy coach-pupil relationship and uh, that's done the the fork was finally stuck in that relationship but leaving Sumik and then joining with Conchita Martinez she made like Dr. Fraser Crane and said I'm listening <laughs> except was I'm... Dr. Fraser Crane ever really listening well, no of course not the entire French Open sure of the four Grand Slams this was the most uh, most surprising and the one at which the draw <laughs> like didn't work out as it was penciled in it uh, exploded it did no serena burton's plishkova osaka or svitolina passed round three and you remember that burton's and plishkova won both uh, both won massive pre-french open titles on clay uh, kvitova pulled out right before the tournament started Halep and Sloan, the 2018 finalists, lost in the quarterfinals. And then, of course, we have the shocking semifinalists and then finalist in Vondrosheva and then Anisimova in the semifinals. Spare a thought for Kiki Burton's because she came in as one of the big favorites. She wasn't even a dark horse anymore. She was a square-on favorite for that title. Yes. And she got ill. She was afflicted with diarrhea. She literally had to run from the interview room. Yes. Because but shit was happening. We're not saying where she was running to, but... Okay. Yeah. We also had Press Room Gate at the French oh Open. Oh, God. Let's, let's not. 
Right after the French Open, the WTA finally acknowledged its LGBTQ fans and history mm-hmm. with hashtag it takes equality. This was one of my most surprising moments mm-hmm. of 2019. Because quite literally, the WTA is founded on the backs of some of the most high-profile lesbians in the history of all sport. I almost said it like Blanche uh, Devereaux. Oh. Le- les- lesbian. <laughs> Le- lesbian. <laughs> One of the greatest moments in TV history. <laughs> Just going to put that out there. Uh, and so it becomes so bizarre that every year during Pride Month, we can't get any celebration of of the sport's tremendous queer following. Mm-hmm. And so for the first time, the WTA acknowledged us and celebrated us. And I felt seen for the first time by the WTA in a way that should have been happening all along. One of the other surprising moments Shortly after Naomi Osaka won the Australian Open, she and coach Sasha Bayan split up. At the time, it was quite surprising. Now it's... <laughs> I don't know. I don't know what it looks like in retrospect. But right after winning a major, it was indeed uh, not expected. The two biggest shocks of the early season was that. Because, I mean, you win two slams and then it's over. And also, they seem to have such great rapport. They would be, Naomi would be roasting Sasha all the time. They they seemed to get along really well. Mm-hmm. And so people were floored by that. But it also happened after what I think is the first shocking moment of the year. Serena Williams losing from 5-1 up in the third set against Karolina Pliskova at the Australian Open in the quarterfinals. Uh-huh. Like that was wild. And Serena was injured. Most inopportune moment. And uh, you saw something you never see on a tennis court, Serena Williams losing from 5-1 up in a third set. You literally, that is something that you you never see. With a match point on her serve. She injured herself, rolled her ankle. She lost two match points on serve. She generated two more match points on Carolina's serve, lost those, and then ended up losing the match 7-5. And I hate to make everyone relive it, but it's surprising to me how much this match got lost. And... And I wonder, Serena has seen everything at this point. This was something new that that she hadn't seen. (laughs) And had she been younger and less experienced, would this be one of those matches that traumatize you as a player? Mm -hmm. How long do you carry that with you? Because it was, in a way... It was traumatic. it It was not embarrassing, but I bet she was embarrassed by it. She had leads that she lost as a young, young player. Right. I believe that match at the French Open against Arancha way back in the day mm-hmm. might have been 98 mm-hmm. the year that Arancha won. Right. That was wild. But this match was so thoroughly hers. Like yes. it was so clearly she was about to win it. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> I've never seen anything like it. At the swing volley offers some bad surprises. Those bad surprises being that ex-players and pundits were calling on Naomi to rehire Sasha after she split with Jermaine Jenkins. And after Sasha split with Mladenovic. And the other thing that was a bad surprise were the pundits screaming about relaxing the age rule for Coco Goff. Right. Thank you for reminding us of those horrible, no good takes. Just terrible opinions. Trash. <laughs> a surprising moment. Kim Clijsters announcing her comeback 
I will not forget waking up and watching that video and being completely floored by it. You watch it and you, you think that there's only one thing that a video like this could mean, but that doesn't make sense. <laughs> and, mm-hmm. and she's still trying. She says that while she intended to come back in January, she's picked up an injury. And so she'll have to postpone her comeback a little bit. But she's still intending to come back to the WTA Tour in 2020. That'll be one of the big moments to look forward to. Funniest moments on the WTA Tour in 2019. We were there for one of them. Uh, right. We were uh, primary sources for one of them. <laughs> Late night in Cincinnati, Sloane Stevens playing Yulia Putinseva on center court. And this match is going well late. And, and, and Yulia was on her typical bullshit. Uh-huh. And we're like, are we are we going to go to this press conference? Will we even still be on site? You know, we didn't have deadlines for papers. <laughs> right. Like, or the, we kind of set our own deadlines. The demands on us at a tournament are different from folks who are, you know, doing other things. But we went to that press conference and uh, Sloane Stevens opened up. Mm-hmm. Well, she basically ripped apart Putin Seva. For anyone who was listening. Yeah, she said, if it's not one scam, it's another. And that is one of the moments. Whatever category you want to put it in, it is one of the moments of 2019. If it's not one scam, it's another. One of my favorite funny moments was Serena Williams flopping around on the ground during her doubles match with Annie Murray. When she had lost her footing and the the camera by the net caught her just like... Yeah, she attempted to get back up. And then she was like, no, 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 let me duck again. And she was really just rolling around in her tennis whites <laughs> on the ground. I don't know if this is a funny moment, but I guess in retrospect it is. Me being duped by Naomi Osaka in Cincinnati. Do you remember that video that came out toward the end of the year with Jimmy Kimmel, I think it was? Or, or Fallon? Um, Fallon, right? I think it was the Jimmy Tonight Fallon, show. Yeah, yeah, Tonight Show. And this weird thing was happening in Cincinnati where in these press conferences... Players were giving these strange answers. Maria Sharapova and Dominic Team were talking about how balls can't fit in Pringles cans or something. Really esoteric stuff. Uh, people were speaking in rhymes and like haikus and shit. And yeah. Like, what is going on? And so I asked Naomi this question and she starts to answer and then she stops and she says, do you want to hear a joke? I'm like, well, yeah, yeah, let's hear a joke, even though you're not answering my question anymore. <laughs> You just kind of roll with the floor, mm. and then you come and find out a couple months later that you've been had. And it's been used as this, like, supercut on The Tonight I know. Show. At of... least they did not have my voice Oh, in my there. lord. Can you imagine? Right. And um, our listener at Willow's Court contributed this one, Colin's vocals at the Australian Open. And how was this 2019? I, was oh it? Oh, boy. I keep thinking this was almost two years ago. No, that was so this year. Danielle Collins playing a match against Angelique Kerber, eventually beating her. But a few times, <laughs> she screamed, come on, basically right in Angie's face at the net, which to me is one of my favorite moments in maybe in tennis history uh, because it was just so brazen. Which, which is to say, people were trying it with Angie Kerber this year. Oh, I know. And she went through it <laughs> because she was getting all kinds of shit from all kinds of directions, from all kinds of players. Right. But uh, a few of the respondents noted that that drama queen thing, that dust-up in Miami, derailed her year, you could argue. 
She did reach a, I think it was a grass court final a bit later, but she has dropped off completely. Coaching Carousel, we've made mention of quite a few of these before, but we will put them all in this one spot. Take it away, James. Sasha Bayan, you may have heard of him. He's been on the show before. He and Naomi broke up after the Australian Open. He hooked up with his family friend, Kiki Madenovich. He started working. Yes. I I mean, come on. They know what I mean. (laughs) As literally as soon as that coaching relationship dissolved, Kiki started winning. (laughs) Kiki won the doubles at the WTA finals and the Fed Cup title for France. Now it's just been announced uh, like one or two days ago that Sasha will now be working with Diana Yastremska, which is huge. Someone who has limitless potential, it seems. One of the bizarre moments of 2019 was the whole Kamal Murray, Sloan Stevens reunited and it feels so grimy. (laughs) (laughs) We sat across from Kamal Murray in Cincinnati at the coaches roundtable and he was telling us about how there's nothing but love between him and Sloan and that, you know, things just didn't work out. It was a matter of communication and you got to communicate better with people. And at the same time, he wasn't really saying many positive things about Monica Pui. No, no. In that roundtable. So if you were to read the tea leaves there, it was like, wow, this is not going to end well. And the end came the next week. I mean, it was days later. He was working out with Monica in Cincinnati. Monica alleges that there were dealings behind her back during that week. And it was announced the following week that he... First, the announcement was he's leaving Monica. He's not going to be traveling to the U.S. Open, which she claims she did not know about. And then shortly after that, they announced that Sloan and Kamau were reunited. Do you remember in the offseason in 2018 into 19, Venus Williams cleaned her entire house of personnel? Yeah. Mm -hmm. David Witt, her longtime coach. Jermaine Jenkins who was then without a job, even though his brother stayed on with Serena, and then he seemingly landed well on his feet with Naomi, Mm -hmm. only to have that job end. Right. I mean, she cleared out her physio, her dentist, her real estate agent. I mean, like anyone you can think of, she just tossed. (laughs) And you've asked here, did it pay off? It's hard to say because Venus has played this year majority of it as a 39-year-old. How right. much of that is from a switch in coaching? You know, you just don't know. What I what I did like, what I saw from Venus this year, is that she was trying so many new things. Mm-hmm. And she's still very eager. And some of it as a result of injury. She had to try new things. Yeah. And of course, Ostapenko and Bartoli. A surprising but uh, kind of... Perfect match. Sensical match. <laughs> And of course, Muguruza finally dropping Sam Sumik and picking up Conchita Martinez, who has had so much success with Karolina Pliskova. I tasked you with going back to our preview episode for this season and looking at the players that we picked to have breakout slash comeback seasons on the WTA Tour. This is something we try to do every year, is try to keep ourselves honest and look at what we predicted at the beginning and how it fared. I realized that most of the picks were yours. Really? I I think I only picked one or two players. Mm-hmm. Um, Whose fault is that? I guess mine. But you do, in picking so many players, you expose yourself to risk. I certainly did. <laughs> okay, let's start. 
Mukhova. This was a great pick by you. Thank you. Kudos. Thank you. She beat Pliskova at Wimbledon in one of the longest matches of the year. She went from number 145 to number 21. And she won the title in Seoul. This is a player on the rise who made tremendous strides this year. So, absolute wonderful pick. You've got Zvonareva, who I put a even. But, you know, I don't know. No, didn't really hear much from her. No. Bouchard, which is a... This is a definite loss from you. To be fair, she did show some signs of life at the beginning of the year, but she is currently ranked at number 214. She went almost eight months without winning a match on the WTA Tour. Mm-hmm. So that was not good on either of our parts. Who, you or Eugenie? Correct. Because <laughs> I certainly did not did not pick her. Amanda Anisimova. That's a win. I mean, excellent pick. She beats Sabalenka at two consecutive slams. Makes the quarters at the Australian, semis at Roland Garros, wins her first title in Bogota. You can't really get much better than that. No. As in the 18-year-old. You also picked Venus to have a bounce back because she had a highly disappointing year after 2017. What do we What do we feel? Where are we at? That was a loss as well. All right. Venus is just outside the top 50, I think. That is not what I had in mind. No, no. She had an emphatic win over Petra Kvitova at Indian Wells. She was pumped she was for that win. Pumped. pumped. So those runs at Indian Wells and Cincinnati were great moments. The rest of the year, I think she would probably like to forget a lot of those. Although she does say she learns from every loss. I was glad to at least witness that run in Cincinnati to the quarterfinals. Mm-hmm. That was that was fun. It was yeah. the first time we'd seen her win that many matches in Cincinnati right. in the five years, five, six years that we've been going there. Who did you pick? I picked Donna Vekic, and it was a, I would say it was a pretty good choice. She made the quarterfinals at the U.S. Open. She was the finalist at two WTA tournaments, and she's inside the top 20. She's number 19, going up from number 34. So some great incremental improvements there. Agreed. You also picked Azarenka. I did. <laughs> we, I mean, we, we already talked about this. The Indian Wells match showed so much promise. And unfortunately, between really tough draws and I think maybe fitness and her game not being where it once was, it was a disappointing year in singles. We also tasked ourselves with picking the would-be year-end top 10. Yes. So I went and found our lists. Did we put it in terms of numbers 1 to 10? No, no. There was no particular order. That's too hard, right? Okay. So here's who you picked. Simona, Pliskova, Serena, Kerber, Sabalenka, Osaka, Muguruza, Gurgis, Sloan, and Vekic. See, I was bullish on Vekic as well. Right, right. I picked, I had a, a lot of overlap, but I picked Simona, Pliskova, Kerber, Sloan, Osaka, Svitolina, Sabalenka, Serena, Mertens, and Kazatkina. You know, so I had a few wild cards in there. Remember, there was evidence that Kazakina was on the come-up after winning Moscow at the end of last year. The real top 10 is Barty. How neither of us picked Barty. The real top 10? You mean like the real miss? Like the actual, no, the actual year-end top 10 is Barty, Pliskova, Osaka, Simona, Andreescu, Svitolina, Kvitova, Bencic, Bertens, and Serena. Well, there's no way that we could have picked 
Andrescu. So Andrescu was a long totally shot. totally unforeseen. Yes. What, what I was surprised about is that neither of us picked Barty, and we were both, we both have been fans of hers. She was on the come up at the end of last year, but she had never reached a Grand Slam quarterfinal, to be fair. But neither of us picked her for top 10, and she is a solid number one. Benchich. Neither of us picked Benchich. Mm-hmm. I think that's that's forgivable. Burton's... I'm surprised neither of us picked Burton's because she rose, I think, as high as number four at some point I last think, year, right? I think the reasoning and the logic behind it was she just had so many points in so many places to defend. Mm. Fair enough. So I got five and you got four. I do feel that we have done better in the past. Clearly, neither of us should have picked Sloan. I'm just happy I got my Mahova pick in there because that that is sitting pretty yeah. right now. Yeah, yeah. All right. You coined this phrase, hatching and snatching, at the beginning of the year. This hashtag. That's the phrase. Uh, indeed. A hashtag. It's also a hashtag. And earlier, you know, there were some ATP guys. There was Tsitsipas and TFO and Popirin. But the ones that you specifically pointed out in, I think, January were Anisimova, Kenin, and Collins. This had to do with young players doing well at the Australian Open. Right. And I remember at the time, you said that Anisimova, she snatched the wig of the wig snatcher. Something I think that's like what, that, yeah. And the wig snatcher was Sabalenka. Yes. Who had notched so many top 10 wins at the, in the second half of 2018. I should just put this all on my resume. You're, I know, You're right? giving me so much praise right now. <laughs> so how did they fare? You, you know, your picks. The, the youngins, Anisimova and Kenan, clearly have started to fulfill their promises. Kennan with all these hardcourt wins, Anisimova with second weeks in slams, Danielle Collins after she beat Venus Williams, I think, in Miami or Indian Wells in 2018. And it was Miami. Miami. And nobody really knew her before. She was a college player. She had that great Australian Open, but her results suffered since then and has since been diagnosed with rheumatoid arthritis. So we don't really know where, where she is at the moment. The other players I would put in that category, obviously, are Coco Goff. But the other is Marie Boskova, who had that excellent run to the semifinals in Toronto and eventually lost to Serena Williams. I can't take credit for the success of Anisimova and Kennan with respect to this hashtag because their success had already happened in Australia when I made this correlation. Right, right. I take credit for the hashtag. (laughs) We can use this hashtag going forward. Mm -hmm. I'm not going to take more than what's owed to me here. Comebacks and retirements on the WGA Tour. The two big retirements were Dominika Sibolkova and Lucy Shavashova. Right. A Slovak and a Czech, both who we, we paid tribute to on the podcast. And then there are kind of two categories of comebacks. One is players like Kvitova, who I see as on a longer term comeback after being attacked in her home, having her hands severely injured, so she's been building these results over a few years now. Benchich, who has been plagued by injury and had an amazing year reaching the WTA finals. And then the other category is players who are actually coming back from retirement, which is becoming more and more popular. Kim Kleisters, still in the works. Marion Bartoli told us she was working toward coming back at some point at the start of the year. I think initially it was supposed to be in Miami around that that sunshine double swing Was that this year too? I believe so, yeah. Oh my God. And then eventually she had to cut it short because uh, the body just was not cooperating. 
In January, Sanya Mirza will be back, former doubles number one. She's coming back from giving birth. Tatiana Golova, she's already back on tour. She came back toward the end of the year. She hasn't played in a long time. And I can only imagine that we're going to see more and more of these players come back. Like, who's to stop Anna Ivanovic from coming back in two years? Right. It's possible. Why not? And Yelena Yankovic is technically not retired yet. So who knows? What else has been happening outside the tennis? Something we've enjoyed is Jem's life. There were two high-profile romances on the WTA tour this year. We don't often see current players dating current players on either tour, right? Mm -hmm. We have a couple lesbian relationships on the WTA tour. There is a Greet Minen and Alison Van Eitvank. But this year we had two high-profile WTA ATP commingling romances. The first one was the Gems Life thing, which they went off on branding themselves and kind of force-fed their relationship to us. And we were all going along for the ride, and then they just withdrew. And so we thought they were done because you go to the to the lengths to scour your social media of all pictures of you together. So you think that they're done, and then they re-emerge, and it's almost kind of like, just kidding, <laughs> right? And then they both... Gael and Elena move forward through the season having good results. They went from strength to strength to finish the year. And the other one was Kiki Mladenovic and Dominic Team. They predated Jem's life. And they are no longer dating, as it turns out. Jem's life has outlasted. What would you call them? Did they have a moniker? No. Kiki and Dominic? I don't think so. Dom Dominiki? Mm. I guess that's why they never had one. <laughs> so, yeah. This is kind of superfluous to the tennis at hand, but it was something that happened. It is now time for you to take a quiz on the WTA season. So I have crafted this quiz and I tried to, it's a mix of standard quiz questions like we've always done. And the other part is inspired by... Is it something new? It is something new. It's inspired by Sam Sanders' NPR podcast. It's been a minute. And he does this uh, segment called Who Said That? Which is introduced by this wonderful loop from Real Housewives of Atlanta with all the women saying, who said that? And Candy's like, who has been saying that? Remember that? (laughs) Yes. So I cannot call the segment, who said that? Uh, Who said that? Portia. Who said that? (laughs) When in fact it was her who said it, right? (laughs) (laughs) For the first part of the quiz, let's call it, she said what? Okay. The first quote is, Obviously, I'm tan. That's the quote? And you have to tell me That's who said Naomi it. Osaka. Okay. Well done. I told you it wasn't hard. The <laughs> second one is, quote, I will eat McDonald's like I do every day and Nutella. Well, Nutella. It's not an Australian because they'd be eating Vegemite. <laughs> I eat McDonald's every day. I don't remember this. Are you going to give me a clue? Um, let me think. She is... She's from a former Soviet Socialist Republic. It sounds like something maybe Sabalenka would say. You are very close. And we actually did talk about this way earlier in the year. It's Sasnovich. Oh, oh, I remember that. Mm -hmm. I remember that now. It was an uncourt thing, wasn't it? Yes. Okay. Anything can set her off. Sloane Stevens. No. Okay. If I give you any clues, it's going to be a little more obvious. So this was said by a commentator during a Fed Cup match. 
anything can set her off. I'm I'm not liking this. Okay, the commentator was Laura Robson. Laura Robson. Anything I mean I know this. I just can't mm-hmm. remember you it. You do know it. Anything can set her off. Us it was about Astapenko? No, it was about her countrywoman, Joanna Conte. Oh, yes. <laughs> Do you remember there was another contentious Fed Cup match? This one between Great Britain and Kazakhstan. And there was beating drums and trombones and everything. Okay, the next quote is, You can't just proclaim yourself female and be able to compete against women. Um, I mean, that's Martina Navratilova. Yeah. Let's make it very clear that that was a quote, and that is not <laughs> my, my words. That is something that... Uh, was a stain on the WTA season, mm. really. Let's just leave it at yeah. that. Okay, next quote. I don't know, Barry Manilow? That's Sloan Stevens. <laughs> <laughs> it was such a giveaway in the I way know. you even said it. I know. I should disguise my voice. That's exactly how she said it. She was asked, what type of music would we be surprised that you're interested yeah. in? Okay. If the organizers do not feel that this is something that can be promoted and celebrated, then I think it's the organizers you need to have a conversation with, not me. Because I did my job, and I did my job well. Joe Conto? Yes. And finally, your final quote. 25 years ago, my life changed for the better. Thanks, Green Day. I have no idea on that one. It's Serena. Oh. She loves Green Day. Oh, I I totally missed that. Okay. Like, that did not register Oh, I thought that would be so obvious. I just figure if it's a white band, then it would probably be Venus. She likes 311 (laughs) and all that stuff, right? Or is it some 41? Yeah, no, no. Venus loves 311. But Serena is the Green Day stan. Okay. She she actually tweeted that and posted a photo of the Dookie album. Okay. From 1994. Do you have other questions? I do, of course. In February, which team handed the Czech Republic their first home Fed Cup loss since 2009? Was it the U.S. team? No. It was Romania. Okay. star-studded Fed Cup tie. Which doubles team won the Sunshine Double? Oh my god. I did no studying for this. <laughs> like, I'm coming straight from work to record on a Saturday evening, and now I'm just going to look like a big old dummy. Like, why are people going to want to give us money now? <laughs> Can you repeat the question? Yes. Which doubles team won the Sunshine Double? That's Indian Wells in Miami. Can I have the country of origin? You you can... Well, yeah, I guess. You can have one country. You can have Belarus. Well, it's... The Belarusian players are Azarenka, Sabalenka, Sasnovich. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to go with Sabalenka and... Azar, no, no, no. Sabalenka and Mertens. Yes. Okay. All right. Okay. The trophy for this tournament is allegedly one of the most expensive trophies ever made for sport and is the personal property of the tournament owner. That is the Madrid tournament and (laughs) the trophy that has gone MIA (laughs) in recent years. That whole drama surrounding the women's trophy in the last couple of years, right? Yep, 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 yep. It's called the Jan Tyriak Trophy. Mm. Which the Trash. which the winner of this year's Madrid tournament did not win. Mm-hmm. Okay, which player moonwalked on court after beating Sharapova by retirement at Wimbledon? Pauline Parmentier. Oh, you remember that? I do remember that. Very, very controversial. This player went from number thirty-seven in twenty eighteen 
to qualifying for the WTA Finals in 2019. Bencic? Yes. All right, stats. Can you name three of the five ace leaders on the WTA Tour this year? Both Pliskova sisters. Yes. And Ash Barty. Yes. Okay, maybe I should have made this harder. <laughs> the other two uh, Burtons was number two, and Osaka was number four. Okay. Karolina Pliskova was the leader this year. So good call. On the flip side, can you name two of the top five leaders in double faults? Ostapenko. <laughs> yes. Ostapenko. Ostapenko. Mm-hmm. They can't all be her. Double falter. Hmm. Who else is a big double falter? Sarah Rani. No, I don't think she played a lot at the WTA level this year. Okay. Um. Well, let's go with Kiki Burton's. Yes. One of the ace leaders and one of the double fault leaders by virtue of playing 715 matches this year. Oh my god. The others were uh, Sabalenka, was number two in double faults, then Bencic and Alexandrova. Okay. So all in all, I'm too lazy to, to um, tally this up, but you did a pretty good job, I, th- I would say. I'm, I'm okay with it. No, actually, let me tally it. We, we paused it and I tallied it. You got 10 out of 14, which is way better than it felt like you did. If I'm being fair. (laughs) (laughs) All right, let's wrap this up. This might be our shortest year-end episode, which I'm happy with. It's not saying much. We might be able to come in at around 75 minutes, (laughs) which is not nothing. Let us know how you all did on the quiz. I'm curious. And uh, I'm the kind of person who would be playing along at home myself. You just want to know how good your quiz was. I know. I want to know who the star students are. Oh, oh, is that so... (laughs) So thank you for for listening to our year in WTA discussions. We've been accused of covering too much of the WTA in a disproportionate level to the yeah, ATP. Well, let's address that in a non-snarky way. <laughs> mm. it and is, it's, it's true. It is true. Yeah. It's not a lie. Uh, we enjoy women's tennis more than men's tennis, generally speaking. Mm. I think during the slams, it's pretty equitable. I could be wrong. And I enjoy watching men's tennis equally during the slams. Uh, but during those non-slam episodes, I think we we probably talk about the WTA way more. And it's just an interest thing. And it is part of this broader discussion you and I have been having about how we plan our programming and how much of it is what we're interested in versus like what a broad group of listeners would be interested in. You but know? also, if the net effect of our tennis coverage without intending to is to cover women's tennis more than men's tennis, I'm okay with it because there are so many other tennis podcasts who do the opposite. Right. So many other podcasts who call themselves tennis podcasts, but the majority of their coverage is men's tennis. And for me, that's a problem. Or exclusively. And so if we are the course correction, you know where to come for women's tennis. I'm okay with that. Mm -hmm. Again, the GoFundMe is now active. You can find it on GoFundMe.com. It's simply called the Body Serve Tennis Podcast. If you type it into a, a browser, it's www.gofundme.com slash the dash body dash. No, so, nobody's going to do that. Between, It's not just slash the body yes. serve podcast. You have to put the dash in between each word. Right. But you'll be able to find it on our Podbean site where we post the podcast on Twitter, Instagram, our Facebook. Thebodyserve.com. And again, you can find the actual podcast on Spotify, on Overcast, which now I'm discovering a huge 
proportion of our listens are coming from Overcast, um, from the, all your typical podcast apps, Apple Podcasts, thebodyserve.podbean.com, etc. My name is Jonathan. You can find me on Twitter at tennis underscore John. And I'm James at Elliot JMR. Two L's, two T's. We have one more episode to wrap season five of The Body Serve. Our ATP wrap show will come to you in probably a little over a week. And then we're on hiatus for Mm -hmm. a little bit. Thank you for being with us for season five. And for those of you who've been around since 2015, um, I don't know how you do it, but thanks. Agreed. Till next time. Okay, we move to Spanish because that's bullshit. (laughs) Thank you very much. (laughs)